Welcome market participants to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. Summer's here, well just about, and the time just doesn't feel right, at least for 83% of you. That's the percentage of folks in a recent University of Chicago survey that described the economy as poor or not so good. Eesh, that's a tough crowd. This week, our three things are, one, the energy spike. It's likely to get worse. Two, equity valuations are still high. Why do we care? And three, redevelopment of JFK Airport, a unique public-private partnership that we'll tell you about. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. One of the key near and intermediate-term risks to credit we see is the energy transition. It already was going to be a bumpy one, courtesy of ESG, which was redistributing capital away from dirty fossil fuels to cleaner sources at a far faster pace than just about anyone expected. And that shift brought with it higher costs to consumers and businesses globally. This transition also makes the global economy more vulnerable to shock as it's easier to reduce existing sources, simply curtail CapEx, than it is to scale new technologies. In other words, margin for error, or shock, had diminished. The long-feared shock was introduced into the mix courtesy of the Russian-Ukrainian war and the embargoes of Russian energy that followed. Since the beginning of the year, oil is up 62% and natural gas 142%. There's inflation, and then there's inflation. China's reopening, likely to happen this summer ahead of its most important political event on its calendar, the 20th National Congress, figures to add further pressure to the price of energy. Now, the effects of the price rise will serve as a tax on consumers and businesses alike. Overall, consumers spend around 4% of their budgets on energy, although the burden on the lower 60% of earners is twice that level. Food producer Mondelez warned its input costs would rise 10 to 13% this year, predominantly because of higher energy costs. United Airlines said the driver of higher airline tickets, up 33% year over year, is almost exclusively jet fuel prices. You get the picture. Real demand destruction is likely to take place when oil sustains above $150 a barrel, and that's according to commodity trader Trafigura's CEO, Jeremy Weir, who spoke this past week at the FT's Global Boardroom Conference. He also warned that the oil market could go parabolic as the market comes to grip with Russia trying to shift its exports away from Europe. Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, warned last week the price of oil could hit $150 to $175 a barrel this year. And Goldman Sachs weighed in as well, predicting $140 over the near term and warned that limited refinery capacity, there's that underinvestment theme, will pressure gasoline and jet fuel prices to where it will feel more like $160 a barrel. The impact of the shock is going to be felt differently around the world depending on regional sensitivities. According to the BlackRock Investment Institute, the energy burden is nearly twice as heavy in Europe as it is in the U.S. 9.9% of GDP in Europe versus 4.7% in the U.S. due to Europe's heavy reliance on Russian gas. 
So here's how we think about what's in front of us in no particular order. The energy spike will hit Europe harder than the U.S. The spike is weighing on consumer and commercial as well as investor sentiment. There is not an easy fix to this particular situation. Ramping up production around the world cannot be achieved simply by flipping a switch or getting a commitment from OPEC. This will increase the likelihood of Republican control of the House and Senate in the fall. Like we said, this is a key risk to markets. All right, on to our second thing, stock valuations. Every now and then, folks will ask why we spend time looking at stock prices. I've been doing this for 30 years, and it constantly comes up. In a nutshell, we in credit markets pay attention to what's happening in stocks for the following reasons. Correlation. Movements in stock prices correlate closely with movements in credit. It makes sense. Every investor wants to know how a business is doing. Is it competitive? Is it growing? Does it generate an acceptable margin? Doesn't matter where you sit in the capital structure. Those are all important investment considerations. The wisdom of crowds. A market price is the end product of a lot of people expressing a view. Bulls, bears, those views are in the stock price. And it's in real time, all the time. Movement suggests questions creditors should ask. Management's focus. Managers manage to shareholders. They take lenders into consideration, or at least most do, but they manage to shareholders. It's important to know what those communications are. And financial flexibility. Cost and availability of capital, all forms of capital, matter. So we pay attention to stocks when we form opinions on credit. Along those lines, a piece in the Wall Street Journal this past week by Mark Holbert caught our attention. He looked at eight commonly used ways to value the stock market and found that, quote, on balance, these eight indicators at the mid-May low stood at more than twice the average valuation of the bear market bottoms seen in the past 50 years, unquote. Put another way, the average of the eight valuation metrics was in the 88th percentile. This is all hard to ignore. So what might account for this exuberance? Well, my guess is that some of this is fundamental and some of it is behavioral. The fundamental justification would be that earnings growth is strong and there's real evidence that companies have been able to pass along higher costs to their customers as margins are at historical highs. Another reason might be that competing investment alternatives in an extremely low-rate environment pale in comparison. Also true, although that is clearly changing due to the rise in rates. But some of this represents an ongoing correction. We've talked in the past about how many market indicators have returned quickly to normal. Rates, credit spreads, equity multiples. Well, as an aside, the one metric that is kind of back to historical levels is forward price earnings. And there still is leftover buy-on-the-dip mentality that doesn't disappear quickly, especially when it has served investors well over the past decade. But in any event, our view is a bit more negative on corporate earnings growth than the consensus. By the way, the Bloomberg consensus is forecasting 9.3% year-over-year growth for the S&P 500 this year. And competing investment alternatives are more attractive, so that would imply that we agree with Mr. Hulbert that there is further room for stocks to fall, and by extension, for credit spreads to widen. 
But here's where that correlation between stocks and bonds might weaken a bit. We do believe the strong starting point for consumers and businesses coming into this correction will limit the damage, i.e. spread widening, in credit. All right, on to our third thing, a unique public-private partnership financing the redevelopment of JFK Airport's new Terminal 1. A transaction came to our attention this week that we thought was worth bringing to your attention. A $6.6 billion term loan and related facilities financing the redevelopment of the former terminals 1, 2, and 3 at New York City's JFK International Airport into a new Terminal 1. The new Terminal 1 is a $9.5 billion, 2.4 million square foot project, making it the largest private investment ever committed to a U.S. airport terminal. Construction is expected to begin in mid-2022, and the first gates are scheduled to open in 2026. The new Terminal 1 will be built in phases, with full completion anticipated in approximately 2030. The project is the first phase of a larger plan announced in 2018 to modernize the entire airport and increase its capacity to 100 million passengers annually, up from 59 million in 2017. Now, the financing includes the following. A five-year term loan with two tranches, a $1.43 billion floating rate facility, and a $4.9 billion delayed draw facility. $200 million of a five-year liquidity facility, $50 million of a five-year working capital facility, and $50 million of a five-year security deposit facility. All are rated triple B minus by KBRA. Funding will also include $2.33 billion of sponsor equity backed by letters of credit. The borrower is an LLC, JFK NTO, as in New Terminal 1, which will operate the new terminal under a lease agreement with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. The sponsor team is a consortium formed by Carlisle, JLC Infrastructure, Ulico, and Ferrovial, the Spanish-based infrastructure multinational. Tishman Construction is the design-built contractor. The Port Authority and the borrower have entered into a lease agreement that runs through December 30, 2060. The lease agreement includes a key performance indicator framework to measure the performance and operations of the new terminal. There is also a revenue sharing program with the Port Authority, portions of which will be either subordinated to debt service or, in the event of insufficient funds, eligible for deferral. For more information, please have a look at the preliminary rating report available on our website, kbra.com. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, the energy spike. It's likely to get worse. Two, equity valuations are still high. Correlation to credit is strong, but there is more froth to come out of stock prices than credit prices. Three, redevelopment of JFK Airport, a unique public-private partnership where you can learn more at kbra.com. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on kbra.com for our latest research and ratings reports. See you next week.